Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. One in five Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the U.S. has experienced a hate incident in the last year. That's according to a new report out this morning from the California-based coalition Stop AAPI Hate. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. Stop AAPI Hate got over 10,000 reports of hate crimes just between mid-March and late September 2021. Nearly 40% of them happened here in California, where the AAPI population is especially concentrated. Dr. Russell Jung is a professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. If you read the incidents, they're just horrifying and the extent and nature of the anger directed towards Asian Americans. We also recognize that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Jung says a recent national survey his group has conducted builds upon this self-reported data to give a more representative picture of what community members are facing, because plenty of incidents may not be reported. In addition to tracking harassment and assaults, the survey sought to better understand the disproportionate impact this hate and fears of experiencing hate is having, especially on lower-income folks who might be forced to be out and about for work more often than some others. That means that the racism isn't just interpersonal and in attacks, but it also um, leads to clear inequities in the economy and education and at the workplace. According to the survey, almost a quarter of respondents didn't want to return to work because of fears around racism. And a third of parents had reported that their child experienced racism at school. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. The state of California will be swimming in extra money next year, with the state's legislative analyst office predicting a $31 billion budget surplus. But all that extra dough means decisions have to be made. The forecasted surplus would surpass a constitutional limit on state spending by more than $14 billion. That means Governor Gavin Newsom and lawmakers could again be legally required to either cut taxes, boost spending on schools and infrastructure, or give rebates to taxpayers, a popular move during an election year. Asked about the options yesterday, Newsom offered only this response. And I look forward to making the decision, which I think is the best interest of 40 million Californians in January, with the support, critical support, of our legislative leaders. 
Newsom did say he will push for substantial investments in infrastructure. Yesterday, we brought you a conversation about redistricting in California. Well, the state's Citizens Redistricting Commission is hearing feedback on its proposed district lines for Congress and the state legislature. And that has major implications for the state's big and growing Latino population. KQED politics reporter Guy Maserati has more. Sonny Wachnin, a voting rights attorney with the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, says the story of California's growth and the growth of the of a vibrant Latino community, um, as well as a vibrant API community. But an analysis by the Public Policy Institute of California found that while the draft maps increase the number of majority Latino districts, they decrease the number of seats where Latinos make up 30 to 50 percent of the voting eligible population. So it is possible that um, we might have more Latino preferred candidates being elected, but the ability of Latinos to influence districts may be less. The commission is holding public comment hearings through Tuesday and needs to finish final maps by December 27th. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Let's turn to California's own Kamala Harris. When Joe Biden picked Harris as his running mate, she made history as the country's first female, black, and South Asian vice president. There were high expectations she'd be a superstar in the administration. But media reports this week paint a picture of dysfunction, disappointment, and confusion surrounding Harris and her role in the administration. Sources inside the White House told CNN that Harris is struggling. Low approval numbers are adding to alleged problems. For some insight, we reached out to KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos, who's been covering Harris for years. She says the Harris story is much more complex than poll numbers indicate. Okay, I know you've been talking to a lot of experts about the vice president and her situation right now. Uh, from your reporting, is there context missing from the narrative that we're getting so far? Yeah, you know, I call out Mark Sandalo, my former colleague. He used to work for the San Francisco Chronicle for a long time in D.C. He now teaches for the University of California's Washington program. So he's been in the Capitol for a very long time. And here's his take on her involvement thus far. I would have expected Harris to be a much more prominent part of the Biden administration. But a vice president is only as out there and as strong as a president lets them be. And we don't know at this point whether or not Harris's low profile is because she hasn't sought the limelight, because she's failing to grab the spotlight, or if it's because Biden isn't giving her the spotlight. And, you know, Saul, even though I think media coverage has kind of had this like, where's Kamala Harris question, Sandalow notes that if you look at her public schedule, it's pretty packed. She's done international trips. She's been touring the country. And of course, she has this very meaty, complicated portfolio of policy issues, some of which she asked for, like voting rights, some of which she was given by the president, like immigration and the border. Here's what Sandalow had to say about that. It is puzzling when you look at the issues that she's been handed, immigration, voting, digital divide, COVID vaccines. These are things that you would expect would be center of attention and that she would be out there making all sorts of headlines over. Maybe it's not her fault, but it is surprising with all these high profile issues, how, how quiet she's been. So quickly, Saul, I mean, he hits on two things. One is we don't know what's going on inside the White House between her and the president and their staffs. And the other is that, you know, I think some of this might not be all her fault. It could be the way the media covers her, which is not always the same as the way they have covered 
historically white men in that position. You know, I know you've covered her career for a long time, uh, as now as vice president, before that as senator, attorney general of California, DA of San Francisco. How have you seen Harris evolve over the years? And are there patterns that kind of remain a constant for good or bad? I think for both. I mean, she is you know, a compelling figure. She has been one since she first ran for office. She's great at retail politics. She's funny. You know, she's a good person at connecting on a personal level. But on the other hand, I think that she is very aware of her position. Um, you know, she came from a law enforcement background as a black woman. I think that she has always had to do this sort of toggling um, and had concern about what she does, you know, what it's going to look like. Is there going to be blowback? And I think that that has hampered her to some extent. I think she's been unwilling to take risks um, in all of her positions and has been very focused on her image. But I think some of that also, it's like a chicken or egg question. Is that because she is sort of more scrutinized than other folks? And I'll just note, though, that that President Biden, I mean, his own poll numbers are nothing to write home about either right now, right? They're not. I mean, in the aggregate, he's a couple points ahead of Kamala Harris, but there have been other polls, outliers that have him at much lower numbers as well. I mean, let's just step back and say all of this is really about the broader politics as well. And I think that if Biden was enjoying sort of soaring approval ratings, you would probably see that with Harris. Um, and I think that, you know, when you add all of the other things with Kamala Harris and the challenges she faces, it's not surprising to me that she is below the president's approval rating and perhaps that, you know, she's going to have to work even harder as she has most of her career to kind of get the same approval as other people around her. That is KQED's Marisa Lagos. Marisa, thanks so much for joining us and talking about uh, Kamala Harris. My pleasure. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's turn to the economy. One of the problems that's causing disruptions in the global supply chain is a severe shortage of truckers. In San Diego, KPBS reporter Alexandra Rangel examines this issue and visits a driving school working to keep up with demand. Breaks in. A little blow on the horn there, make sure nobody's out hanging out. Andre Weston is a driving instructor at United Truck Driving School in Mission Valley. I'm going to teach him how to do a little bit of upshifting. A year ago, this job wasn't in Weston's plans, but then the pandemic hit and he saw the need for his expertise. I thought I was going to retire. I did retire and then I see this ad and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I got 20 years experience and I'm thinking, Man, you're sitting here wasting it. Why don't you go out there and see what happens? Go talk to them. Careers in trucking have long been a path for the middle class who don't have college degrees. But it's a grueling job that doesn't attract many younger workers. 
and now a wave of retirements is washing over the industry, leaving firms in desperate straits. According to the American Trucking Associations, the industry is short 80,000 drivers. That number is expected to double by 2030 if major progress isn't made. Philip Harris is also a retired trucker and now the admissions counselor at United. He says it's a shortage that has accumulated over the years. With COVID came out, the guys that were going to retire in three to four years just said, nah, we're done. And then DMVs were closed, so they weren't able to license new drivers, which takes about six months to really get the good training. But the need has never been greater. The ATA estimates that 72% of the nation's freight gets moved by truckers. We have been posting everywhere. From billboards to Craigslist to recruiting at diesel gas stations, Roberto Rodriguez says he's tried every avenue to look for new hires. Down here in San Diego, in California especially, we don't have enough drivers. The drivers that already have their permits, their license, they are working for big companies. He's increased pay, but as he raises the bar, other companies do the same. Pay is going up. We have one major company that last year was paying in the $20 range. They now are paying their Class A drivers $25 an hour. Gary Smith is the placement instructor for United. He says companies are now willing to hire drivers with no experience, as long as they have a license. That used to be unheard of. Rodriguez says he can't be choosy. Right now, he has a thousand trailers on his lot waiting to be picked up. We have been working uh, with a lot of uh, lawyers, uh, law firms, to verify they can help us to do any process so we can give Mexican drivers the opportunity to work down here. Neutral. Brakes. Flashes are still on. As companies scramble to fill driver seats, United Trucking School is doing its part to fill the need. We take them from almost ground zero and uh, teach them all the skills and knowledge in order to become professional truck drivers. During the four-week course, students earn their Class A and Class B commercial driving license and are helped with job placement. The news of the driver shortage and higher pay appears to be having an effect. For the first time ever, United has a waitlist of students looking to join the program, and applicants are coming from diverse backgrounds. We've been very inundated with students. Uh, students are just, we're, we're booked out till January. Theron Gray is currently enrolled in the program, but it's not his first time getting his CDL. He left trucking a few years back when his daughter was born because he wanted to be home more. But with incentives increasing for drivers, he's ready to hit the road again. There's a lot of work available right now for truck drivers. A lot of people are going into other careers that are more corporate white collar, and they're kind of leaving the blue collar jobs behind. And these companies need bodies in the seats. Yet the trucker lifestyle isn't for everyone. Harris says he's very blunt with students who are looking to enroll. We don't get to see our families a lot. We're on the road a lot of times. Most truckers average only seeing their family about 12 days out of the year. You know, your shifting's getting really good lately, right? You're upshifting, you're downshifting. All of that's been, yeah, is really coming through. As for Wesson, he's just grateful he gets to contribute to teaching the next generation of drivers. I think we can get there together. Keep America moving, so to speak. Because right now, we're backed up. And it's bad. For the California Report, I'm Alexandra Rangel in San Diego. And that is the California Report for Thursday, November 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. 
PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.